He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm wondering what it is I should do. It's so hard to keep well, this smile from my face. Because Charlie Watts, uh, the fabulous, amazing drummer for the Rolling Stones. Uh, you know, Mick Jagger and all of them took their music in all different directions, and it flared all over the stage. But uh, Watts was the beat that kept it together. He was the skeleton of the Rolling Stones, the backbone of the Rolling Stones. Absolutely incredible drums. Now, um, we're going to talk about politics a little bit here, and we're going to talk about a new phenomenon in American politics that burst onto the scene just two years ago, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And we're going to talk about how she may run against Chuck Schumer for the Senate. If she does in the primary, I think she's going to beat him. And if she does, I think she's going to run against Biden or Harris for the Democratic presidential nomination. And if she does, I think she's going to beat him. And she'll run against Trump, and Trump will make mincemeat of her. So she's kind of the ideal Democrat for me. She can't, can't lose the primary and can't win the general. AOC. You're the devil in disguise, or yes, you are devil in disguise. Walks like an angel, she talks like an angel, she looks like an angel, but she's the devil in disguise. Absolutely. So here's the story with AOC. She's stuck in a house seat, uh, and it's 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 okay, but you know, she's one of many, and it's very hard for her to take the leadership role that she wants. I think there is an incredible opportunity now with Cuomo gone and uh the uh, Hochul, who's nothing, a placeholder, as the acting governor. And uh, then you have uh, Letitia James, Tish James, as they call her, an ultra-radical, crazy. She's not even a Democrat. She was elected from the Working Families Party, a fringe left-wing mob that kind of inherited the title of the Socialist Labor Party. And, uh, you know, it's normally a 1% party, but not in New York City. And... uh, with with her with her and the governorship are approaching it, and with uh, Cuomo gone, there's really a glittering prize here called the New York State Democratic Party, and AOC can lead the progressives, the radicals, the Marxists in taking it over, and uh, I think that she's going to challenge Chuck Schumer for the Senate in the primary of 2022. Uh, that's when his term is up. And I think that if AOC were to jump into the race against Schumer, I think she'd defeat him. Schumer's never had a serious challenge after he won the Senate seat. 
and uh, and he won the Senate seat really in a primary where other people lost it. Liz Holtzman lost it because the New York Times hated her, and uh, and um, the the whole tenor of the time was against was against her. And uh, Schumer walked into that seat in the primary, and then in the general, it was a negative vote on Tomato. It wasn't so much a positive vote for Schumer. But his base is gone. The Jewish community is no longer in the Democratic primary. Any Jew who votes in the Democratic primary is probably a leftist, probably would go for AOC against Schumer, even though she's Latino and he's Jewish. They regard Israel as another country on the map, just another country, nothing special. Uh, They see their ethnicity as an anachronism. McLaughlin did a poll the other day where he asked Democratic primary voters in New York City uh, what their religion was. And of those who were ethnically Jewish, 40% said they're atheist or agnostic. So it's not really a demographic group anymore. It's, it's kind of scattered to the wind. And uh, I don't think that there'll be any block vote coming from there for Schumer. And those who take their Judaism seriously uh, are largely conservative or orthodox, and they're probably voting in the Republican primary. And they're certainly not in the Democratic primary. Uh, and I don't think he'll get any Latino votes against AOC, And I think the black vote will follow the Latino vote in backing AOC. I think Schumer would be doomed if AOC ran against him. Now, Schumer would have a lot of money, of course, but so would AOC. Uh, Beto O'Rourke, running for the Senate in Texas, raised $37 million in small online contributions. AOC would probably double that. Uh, She wouldn't have to lift a finger ever to dial the phone for money. Just, Just click enter. Uh, click send and watch it roll in. Uh, And I think that the normal argument that a Democratic incumbent would make against an insurgency like AOC is, hey, don't vote for her because you're splitting the Democratic Party and a Republican is going to walk into the seat taking advantage of the split. But that won't work in New York. Everybody knows New York is not going to elect a Republican senator no matter what happens. And everyone knows that there's no danger if you're a Democrat in splitting the vote. You're going to keep that seat. So I think AOC would defeat Chuck Schumer. Why should she run when she's already got a pretty good perch? Well, think about it. If she goes, if she tries to run for president from Congress, uh, nobody's going to take her seriously. It's too big a leap. Nobody's ever done that. And it's very hard to make that leap. But if she defeats Schumer and she becomes kind of the giant killer and she posits the race against Schumer as the Democratic Party insiders against the progressive outsiders and she excoriates Schumer for letting Manchin and Cinema keep their seniority in the party and their committee assignments and everything, even as they push the filibuster and enable the Republicans to scuttle a lot of Biden's programs, uh, she'll say you're putting the good old boy network in the Senate ahead of the importance of the progressive programs, and you're selling us out. And that argument will have a great deal of traction, and I don't think there's much Schumer can do to oppose it. 
and there's nothing in AOC's record that he can use against her uh, because New York State is so radical, it's so leftist. They'll buy all of the stuff that AOC is pushing. And I think that she is very likely to be able to defeat Schumer. And that makes her a major national figure and a major potential candidate for president in 24. I can see AOC going from the defeat of Schumer to challenging Biden and Harris in the Democratic primary of 2024. And she'd run against them and she'd say, look, she would use Biden's fragility and senility against him and would say, look, he just is not strong enough to take on Donald Trump. He was four years ago, but now he's not. And uh, Trump will, will have him for breakfast. You need a strong, younger candidate like me. Okay, Dick Morris, why are you doing that? Why are you telling her this? What's, what's up? Have you gone crazy? Have you gone back to Clinton? What's going on? Well, the answer is that she is the ideal Democrat, AOC. She can't lose the primary, and she can't win the general. She'll never beat Trump. She would never come close to defeating Trump. Trump would expose her. The whole progressive wing of the Democratic Party will go flaming down, and she'll be at the, the peak of the fire. Uh, but she'll win the nomination. She'll take over the Democratic Party. She'll move it dramatically to the left. It's very similar to what happened in 1972 when George McGovern took over the Democratic Party. Previously, Eugene McCarthy had, and Bobby Kennedy had more or less taken it over. And it moved so far to the left, so incredibly far to the left. And uh, the Democratic Party was, was almost incapable of winning an election after that. Jimmy Carter squeaked through because he, was, he sold himself as a conservative, a Southerner, and not a real Democrat. And then you had Walter Mondale and Mike Dukakis. The party just fell off the left wing. And I think that AOC would lead it in that way. I think that this will marry the extreme crazy left with the Democratic Party establishment and take it over. And I don't think the Democrats will win another election for 20 years. AOC is not going to relinquish her hold over the party when she gets it. She's got enough power and charisma to hold on to it. And it's part of a long-range plan to keep this country Republican and save it. So I am not advocating AOC because I love her. I'm not advocating AOC because I want her to be president. I don't care if she's senator. Schumer's a radical, so is she. They'll vote the same. But she can defeat Schumer, who needs defeating anyway because he's such an SOB and he's been so horrible in the way he's dealt with Trump and with the values of our country. And, uh, the, and AOC would go from there to dominating the Democratic Party and would never win another election. So that's my feeling about this, and you may think I'm crazy. You may think that I've flipped out, and maybe I have, but uh, I think that that is really what's going to happen and what could happen. And I'm very conscious, folks, of being on the air right now in New York City. Uh, I, don't, I don't think she listens to ABC, but I'm sure her staff does. And I wrote a column on this and published it in Newsmax, and uh, I sent it to AOC, I just sent it to uh, Lauren Hitt, I think is her name. Lauren is the first name. And she's the press secretary for AOC. And I said, please show this to the congresswoman.
And I'm trying to lure her in. I'm trying to tempt her, but not to a destructive fate. She'll be a senator. She'll be the head of the Democratic Party. That's probably what she wants anyway. Marxists are always trying to take over the Progressive Party so they can put their vision on it, their stamp on it. And their first priority is always to defeat the liberals, defeat the socialists, and force them to become real communists. And that's probably what AOC wants. And I'd like to help her accomplish that because I think the Democratic Party is terrible. I think it's masquerading under the pretense, the fig leaf, the disguise, the mask, if you will, of being moderate and of being reasonable, and they're not. They vote like they're crazy, and they are crazy. They need to be defeated, and the best way to do that is to get AOC to become their leader, lead them down into disaster. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in I see the fair moon rising. I see trouble on the way. I see fair wakes of lightning. I see. I see bad moon rising, I see bad times today coming out of Afghanistan. And uh, I believe that it is going to spread terrorism throughout the world. Uh, there's a real analogy between the, Wahoo la- the, the Wuhan lab and Afghanistan. Each of them was a breeding ground that developed a virus that could kill millions of people, spread throughout the world, and be very hard to contain and subdue. One is terrorism, the other is COVID. And they're twin threats that can destroy the planet. And they were each fermented uh, in a uh, crucible to design them to be horribly effective. Um, 800-848-9222 is my phone number. 800-848-WABC-9222. Give me a call, tell me what you think. I believe that the political impact of Afghanistan is that from now on, Biden owns the terrorism issue. Any attack that happens during his administration is going to be laid at his doorstep. It's his fault. And when you combine the open border with Mexico that permits anybody to come in and the toppling of Afghanistan, which creates an incubator for terrorism, We are going to have terrorist attacks. They are going to be deadly. They're going to be horrific. And they're going to be Joe Biden's fault. And it's going to even further doom his administration and the Democratic Party to total disaster. Let me spend a minute with my thought about Afghanistan. A terrorist group like al-Qaeda or the Taliban is like an HIV virus that swims in your bloodstream and goes all over the place. Uh, But until it attaches itself to a cell in your body, it's harmless. Can't make you sick. But when it attaches to a cell and it inserts its, its rods into the cell, its DNA flows from the virus into the cell and it takes over the cell. And the cell becomes a COVID virus itself. 
and then it sticks all the other cells around it, and a chain reaction sets in where huge parts of your body get taken over by the HIV virus. That's what, that's what the terrorist groups are. When they take over a country, they use the DNA of that country to transform themselves from a fringe gang, something out of West Side Story, to a, to a threat that can cause 9-11 and destroy huge numbers of people. And what that means is that when you take over a country, you get the secure borders so you can train anything you like and recruit anybody you like inside them. You get an army and navy and air force. You get embassies in every country that you can use to smuggle terrorists into. You get trade relations with every country where you can send a boat over there and put whatever the hell you like on the boat. You get, uh, you get a conscript population that you can put into your military and train and use in any way you want. You get an existing intelligence service that has agents throughout the world that are already infiltrated and already poised to infiltrate and get in place. And if you're fortunate enough to have lost a war to the United States, uh, you'll get hundreds of billions of dollars of foreign aid, humanitarian aid that you can use to build yourself up. So it's feeding the HIV virus to give us AIDS, global AIDS, uh, in the form of terrorism. And Biden is the one that opened the door to that. And if you're going to have terrorist attacks, they're going to be the fault and could be laid at the doorstep of Joe Biden. Let's go to Jonathan in Hillsborough, New Jersey. Hey, Jonathan. Good afternoon, Mr. Morris. Great show. I love it. Good. I have a question and a comment. Could the Obama third term or the Biden administration colossal catastrophe in Afghanistan? Could that spell the end of NATO? I, I think that uh, Afghanistan certainly shows the, that, if you're, that if the United States is weak, NATO is weak. NATO doesn't exist. It's an extension of the United States. To say, uh, will NATO be strong, that's like saying, will the Defense Department be strong? Will the Pentagon be strong? Yeah, of course they'll be strong, but only as strong as their commander-in-chief is. And but the president is the commander-in-chief. So you can't expect the periphery to carry it. The center, the sun, has to carry it, and Biden's not doing it. Uh, will NATO recover? It'll recover when Biden leaves. Uh, and, and under Trump, it would be a, a ferocious force that would be very, very effective. So um, so that's my feeling about it. Uh, Joel in Manhattan, how are you doing? Uh, Mr. Morris, regarding Afghanistan, uh, we should definitely have stayed there for the foreseeable future in view of the fact that especially uh, with benefits galore, inducements for promotions, and the relative safety before this uh, recent disaster, you know, of serving in Afghanistan, millions of single personnel in the United States Armed Forces would eagerly volunteer to serve there yeah. in view of uh, just six months, maybe, right. assignments we in never, view of we never had a problem opportunities. Getting... Good, good point. We never had a problem recruiting a volunteer army to serve in Afghanistan, certainly not after 9-11. And yes, we should stay in Afghanistan, but not 100,000 troops, not 50,000, not 20,000, not 10,000. 
three or four thousand troops occupying Kabul, Kandahar, and one or two other cities, occupying a major major air base uh, with with access to airstrikes, cr- launching cruise missiles, access to intelligence information, and use it as a base against terror. The model should be Guantanamo. Set up a Guantanamo base in Afghanistan. The Taliban won't like it, but they can't do anything about it. Tell the Taliban, keep your hands off it, and if you attack it, we're going to bomb the hell out of the whole country. And uh, we just sit there and we use it as a base to fight terrorism and to keep current on what the terrorists are doing. Uh, We can also use it in some cases to protect women from the vicious Taliban regime, but we can't overdo that. We lost that war. Uh, We abandoned it, and I don't think we can go back. But I do believe that we have got to stay there to the to deal with the original purpose of the mission in Afghanistan, which was to get rid of terrorism. Let's go to Judith in Brooklyn. Hey, Judith. Hi, Judith. Hi. Good afternoon. Hi, Mr. Morris. Um, listen, I want to I want to tell you something that I read that is very important, and you're 100 right. They should have left those 2,500 Americans that give tactic air support to Afghani military. President Trump knew that if you remove all American support from Afghan military, then the Taliban would take over. So he kept checks and balances with that. But yet I want to tell you that Biden knew about this before, and now he doesn't give a flying flea. He doesn't care that he left behind thousands of Americans behind whatever. Listen, in 2010, he said to Richard Holbrook about American responsibility in Afghanistan. Richard was worried about it. So this is what Biden said about responsibility in Afghanistan. Quote, We don't have to worry about that. We did it in Vietnam. Nixon and Kissinger got away with it. This is who we have in the White House. He wasn't senile in 2010, okay? This is his mentality, and it's absolutely disgusting. Judith, you make a good point. Uh, The Vietnam legacy is what induced Biden to pull out. Uh, He didn't realize, didn't stop to focus, that the reason Nixon and Kissinger pulled out and Ford is that Congress made them. There was a congressional ban on spending any money in Vietnam. Biden has no such constraint. And he didn't understand. His adult brain was so stuck in the 1970s that he couldn't get it, that we did not have to pull out everybody. We could have kept a base there like Guantanamo. We still could do that, uh, but we don't have a leader who has any courage at all. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Some of you have called and asked, asked me my opinion about illegal immigrants coming into the United States. Here it is. Hit the road, Jack. Um, Biden's immigration agenda is in serious trouble. In fact, it's it's dying. And uh, when you think about it, it's one of the major initiatives of this presidency, and it is being defeated because finally the court woke up and they decided to enforce the law, and they stopped being terrified by the threat of being packed, and they decided to act like real judges. And what they said was very radical. 
They said he has to follow the law. They said Biden can't just make up policy. He has to follow the law. And the Constitution, you know, lists immigration and naturalization as a function of Congress. It's specifically one of the so-called enumerated powers. They said that that's what the Constitution says, that's what it means, and you can't just make the stuff up as you go along. So they have thrown out five Biden policies, thrown them out in the last two weeks. Uh, Biden wanted to end deportations. He told the Justice Department, drop the deportation cases you have. Even if they're murderers and rapists and horrible people, uh, don't deport them. You can't deport them. Drop that case. They're welcome to stay in America as long as they like. Biden said to the border guards, catch them and release them. Do not hold them. Do not keep them. I don't want them in our jails. I don't want them in our prisons. I don't want a scandal where the reporters come in and show how many people we have, and some of them are children and all that, and they talk about the barbaric prisons. I don't want them. When you catch them, release them. Let them go, like an undersized fish uh, in the Hudson River. Uh, If you catch it, let it go. Um, And the court said, no, you can't do that. The law says you catch them and you put them in prison and you hold them until the court can adjudicate it and rule on their asylum claims and then they either deport them or uh, or let them go in the U.S. And you can't do catch and release. And then Biden also said DACA. I'm going to pardon, I'm going to give a free path to citizenship for all the folks, all the dreamers, the people who came here with their parents. You know the deal. And uh the, and, and the court said, no, no, Dak, you cannot do that. Congress is the one that decides who gets to become citizens and who doesn't, who can stay here and who doesn't. And if the administration decides not to follow the law, meaning we're not going to enforce the law with these people, we're not going to try and throw them out. And if you take the view that's simply an administrative decision, we're not making them legal, we're just putting them to the bottom of the pile that that's tantamount to not following the law, and you can't do that. They threw that out, too. Remember when they pressed Obama about DACA when it first came up? He said he couldn't do it. He said, you know, I'm not a dictator. I'm not a king. I can't just do this. I got to follow the law. And then when the election came, he flipped and decided he didn't have to follow the law after all when he ran for a second term. I can give the DACA people a pardon by my own administrative action. And now the court's saying, you can't. And then finally, the remain in Mexico policy, where uh, where Trump said, uh, we're going to make these folks stay in Mexico. We're going to induce Mexico to keep them, and we're not going to let them come into the U.S., and Biden threw that out and said, no, you can't do that. you got to bring him into the U.S. You can't ask Mexico to hold him. And the court said, no, no, the president makes uh, – you can do that absolutely. And, uh, and Congress wants you to do it. They voted for it. And you're supposed to do that. you got to follow Congress's lead. Now, the, and then there's the eviction moratorium, which is also partially related to immigration. And when you put all of these together – What basically the Democrats are finding is that that whole immigration program, one of the major planks in their party platform, cannot be done, not because of constitutional objections. These are unconstitutional, but because of the law, the statutes. 
You can change the statutes with two houses of Congress and the president's approval. So what they're going to try to do now is take the vote over the infrastructure package and say, while you're voting on this, we're inserting amendments in there to suspend deportations, to put catch and release back in, to legalize uh, DACA, to ban the Remain in Mexico policy, to keep the eviction moratorium going. And we're going to pass that on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Well, and then they're going to say, we're going to take this $3.5 trillion stimulus package where we've lined up the, the Democratic votes for it. And we have them all set. And we're going to put these measures in as provisions, amendments to that bill. And when that bill comes in, it'll be piggybacked by all of these immigration proposals. And they're going to pass and they're going to become law. Well, wait a minute, guys. For that to happen, they have to get the votes of Manchin and Cinema. And Cinema is from Arizona. And she will have, she, she might as well just slit her throat. Uh, if she's going to vote for that bill. Uh, Arizonans will never put up with that. Uh, in fact, they want to take immigration enforcement away from the feds, invest it in the state, because they'll do a decent job. And uh, Cinema can't vote with that. And Manchin, if his flank is uncovered because Cinema's not standing there, he's not going to be against her, and he's not going to vote for that. So the Democrats have worked themselves into a corner or the courts have worked the Democrats into a corner, where they can't proceed with this immigration agenda, and uh, they're going to be stuck with this. Now, of course, they've already let a million illegal immigrants into the U.S., so we're all going to have to live with that. Uh, and even if they commit crimes we uh, under Biden, we won't be able to deport them. But it is very clear that the Democrats are stymied in moving ahead with their agenda. Um, earlier, I was talking about AOC. I was saying that she should run for the Senate against Schumer, beat him in a Democratic primary. He deserves it. He's completely sold out the people of New York, and uh, and that that should position her to take over the National Democratic Party, run for president against Biden, against Harris. She can't possibly beat Trump. There's no worry about that. She'll lose 40 states, 45 states. But and it'd be a pleasure to see. But let her take over the Democratic Party so that she forces them to own up to what a radical communist vehicle they have become. Let's go to Bill on the Upper West Side. Hey, Bill. Hello, Mr. Morris. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Where do you um, live on the Upper West Side? Don't I live, uh, uh, where do I live? Yeah. <laughs> I live between Broadway and Columbus in the 70s. 70s. I grew up on 85th and West End Avenue on the northwest corner <laughs> oh okay yeah, well, yeah nice. simpatico okay go ahead um the uh regarding ocasio cortez there's something i've been wondering about for a long time and i haven't had a chance to bring it up to anybody really but it's this this notion that america is going to be a majority minority there's an oxymoron for you yep. majority minority country by 20 something 2030 2045 yeah. right. you know they change it yeah and Bill Clinton was, you know, he said, oh, I can't wait, remember? Yeah. Well, and here's my question. If that's going to happen then, when is the Democrat Party going to be majority 
minority. It, it should be already, right? Yeah, it should be, and it will be. And particularly if Ocasio-Cortez does what I want, it no, will No, but be. I don't mean by but, election. I mean the guys who vote. Yeah. The no, guys I, who vote has got to be, I, because it's almost 50% for the country already. So well, since the minorities are in, yeah, uh, in with but, the Democrats. But, but there's a mistake in your worldview of this, Bill. Uh, yeah, there will be a majority of blacks plus Latinos plus Asians uh, will be a majority of the United States population by 2030, 2040, something like that. But they're not going to be a coalition uh, any more than you could say that the Irish and Italians and Jews are a coalition in the United States. They once were. They once voted as Irish and Italians. People always ask me, when are the Hispanics going to start voting Republican? And I used to say, when they stop being called that, when they stop being called the Hispanic vote, yes, when they're simply those folks. And they did that in uh, this election. They, but regarding, uh, regarding sorry, her run, her run against Schumer, right? I mean, couldn't she use that? Couldn't she say, look, let's count up the number yeah. of white people in the Senate and the Democrats and the white people in the House that are Democrat and look at the difference in the ratio between the people yeah. that vote for you guys yeah. and what you guys yeah, she, are representing us. She can, and I'll bet she does. And uh, and I like that. Uh, I mean, I, I am sick of this Democratic Party masquerading under the fig leaf of Bill Clinton and saying we're just like Clinton, you know, a little bit of change here and there, but keep the basic framework intact, and when the other party makes sense, compromise with it. Uh, that's not this Democratic Party. And if AOC goes out and puts on the radical face that she has, uh, it's going to unmask the Democratic Party, and it's never going to win another election until it completely changes. But your point, which is the ethnic determinism of it, I don't think is accurate. I think that the Latino, Hispanic vote and the Asian vote is going to leave the coalition that it's in now with the black vote and is going to break away and started to do it this year. Trump gained 10 points among Hispanics and six points among Asians when you compare his 2020 vote with his 2016 vote. And the reason is very simple. The left made patriotism the issue. They made uh, speaking up for America uh, to be something that's controversial. And you got to differentiate between people that came here because they wanted to and people that were born here and always lived here, or with the case of the blacks, people who came here because they were forced to. But the point is that the people who came here because they wanted to, uh, the Hispanics and Asians, are not letting anyone deride the country, say it's racist. They don't want to hear that it's unequal. They don't want to hear that it's unjust. They don't want to hear that it's reactionary, that it's a negative force. They don't want to hear that George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln were scoundrels and that they the own slaves. They don't want to hear that. They think this is the ideal country in the world, and they want to hear it and praise it and support it. And by calling that into question, the radical left of the Democratic Party has lost its claim on the allegiance of the uh, votes of Latinos and Asians. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the
you got Change Your Evil Ways, Wuhan Laboratory in Wuhan, China. Uh, you inflicted, and Fauci in the U.S., uh, your funding helped inflict this plague on humanity. Uh, Fauci's money through the NIH, the National Institute of Health, an agency of the U.S. government that Fauci heads, funded the research of the Wuhan lab in Wuhan, China. And that research consisted of trying to take a virus that naturally occurred in bats and rejigger it so that it could affect humans. If you look at a virus, you know, the pictures of the virus, you see the mock-ups of it. It's a sphere with, with spikes protruding from it. And those spikes are what spreads the virus. So this virus gets into a group of cells and the spikes jam through the membrane of the cell into the interior of the cell. And through the spike, the, cell, the virus's DNA pours into the cell and the cell then becomes a virus cell and infects other cells that become virus and that's how the thing spreads. But the projectiles, the, the, the spears that were jutting out from the uh, COVID virus did not penetrate human membranes. They couldn't. They weren't strong enough to do that. Uh, they couldn't do it. So it could not spread to people. It could spread to apes and to uh, other species and to uh, bats, uh, but it couldn't spread to people. So Fauci gave them $200 million to invent a virus that would spread to people, that refined that spear so that it could, in fact, enter a human cell. Why did he do it? Because he claims, and the researchers claim, that it was going to happen anyway in a bat by natural mutation, that at some point there would be a bat flying around with one of these viruses uh, that would naturally mutate, and the end result would be just what they created, that kind of a cell. And they wanted to get it done in advance before the cell occurred naturally uh, so that they could develop a vaccine against it. You know, like they needed snake venom so they could develop an anti-venom. And that was the theory, and that was why he funded the research. Now, that is either the stupidest thing anybody has ever done, or it is the most lethal and careless playing God with the human race that I can imagine. It's something that, that the guys who invented Dr. Frankenstein should, would, would be very proud of. You know, these scientists get it into their heads. And the first, as soon as the scientists learned to affect the virus's composition and to screw with the virus and alternate what it is, they began to do crazy experiments. One was that they took the 1918, 1917, 1918 flu that wiped out tens of millions of people and then became extinct, thank God, and they recreated it in the lab just because they could, to see if they could build this, you know, like like a, a hobby. And then they took the polio virus that is basically extinct, and they recreated it in the lab. So there's another one. See, look at what we did. And then they took a smallpox gene, a smallpox virus, and they injected it into a human gene just to show that they could. And Eureka, this is the advance of human knowledge and of science. 
Hell with the consequences. What if any of this stuff leaks? What are you going to do then? Well, in this case, it did leak. Now, there still is the possibility that the Chinese army and Communist Party deliberately leaked it uh, to screw up Donald Trump and the rest of the world. But I'm not going there yet. But what I am saying is that they developed this thing in the Wuhan lab, and it was funded by the United States of America. Your tax dollars paid for the development of the COVID virus. Now, this isn't proven yet. Uh, all of the people who have assessed whether it was whether it was spread by a bat, a natural mutation, or leaked from a lab, a man-made mutation, have now said that either is possible. As soon as the virus loosed upon the world, they all lined up and said, oh, it's natural, nobody did this, no, the Wuhan lab isn't at fault. But then it turned out the Chinese were manipulating that. They were funding the World Health Organization and controlling the members of the commission that investigated the virus and telling them, don't you dare say this was lab leak. Uh, you're going to be marked dirty in our book if you do that. You're not going to get any of our funding. So they didn't do that. The head of the commission revealed that he was pressured by the Chinese government not to say that it was a lab leak and not to include that as an option in his report. And then two studies came out, which were ridiculous, uh, that said that this couldn't have happened. And listen to the way they did it. The, the scientists said, we will figure out what is the ideal way that a virus could infect a human. Okay? And then when they looked at the real way it did, it was less than ideal. It was not as proficient as the one they created. So they said, obviously, since it's imperfect, it wasn't man-made. It was obviously natural, which is ridiculous. The scientists tried different varieties and took the ones that worked by observation, not just by calculation in advance. So the studies were flawed. And the W World Health Organization study was bought off and biased, and uh, and then there's there's a giveaway that tells you two giveaways that tell you it was not uh, naturally occurring. One is that before the virus got loosed on the world, four researchers in the Wuhan lab came down with the virus, got sick from the virus, and that was before it was flying around in bats. So how did they get it? They obviously had to get it from the lab where they worked by accident. The other is even more convincing. When the SARS virus came out, or the MERS virus, those were two viruses that were the basis of the COVID virus, the same genetic structure. When those viruses came out, the Chinese said, this is naturally occurring in a bat. And they scoured the country to find the bat. And they did. In three months, they came up with the bat, and they came up with the creatures the bat must have bit, bat bit, the bat must have bit, and uh, to spread the virus. And they said, here they are in the cage. You can go pet them and feed them. These are the folks that spread all of that. Well, for 15 months now, they have not been able to come up with the COVID bat. They've scoured the countryside. They've beaten the bushes. They obviously want to find it because it would exonerate them from the crime of the century. And they won't they haven't found it. They haven't found it because it doesn't exist, because this was a man made virus. 
And if it wasn't a man-made virus, if it was just an accidental, uh, if, it, if it was a naturally occurring virus, why are the Chinese blocking any access to the lab, to any information? Gen- they, they erased all the files. Why are they doing that? Obviously, because they're culpable. Um, let's go to uh, uh, Aaron in Manhattan. Yeah, I'm Aaron. Yeah. I have, I'm really bothered. I've been an independent most of my life, uh, except now I voted for Trump and I became a Trump Republican for four years and now I'm back an independent. I always looked at both parties. I liked Clinton. Uh, I didn't like little, uh, the father Bush. But what happened to the, to the Democrats that, that would stand up to their own party when there was an issue? I they mean, got, you do that, and I see you uh, on TV, and I love it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what happened to them. There was reapportionment after the 2010 census, and the reapportionment was very controversial, the congressional reapportionment. And the two parties got together, and they said, listen, we want to draw a map where we both have safe seats, we hate this business of elections. Let's structure this in advance. Let's take every Democratic seat and fill it up with Democrats. Let's take every Republican seat and cram every Republican we can find into its borders, gerrymandering, and reduce the number of swing seats that could go one way or another from about 120 to about 40, which is where it stands now. And the result is that most of your members are going to be safe and won't have to worry about being defeated. They can stay in Congress as long as they like. And I'll do this for my guys, and you do it for your guys, and we'll each let you do it. The byproduct of that was that you didn't have to worry about the general election, but you did have to worry about the primaries. Because if you're a Democrat, your district is teeming with Democrats and minorities. And there are no Republicans in there to offset them and move them to the center. So you have to be as left as you possibly can be to win the primary to keep your seat. And the opposite was true of the Republicans. There are no liberals, no Democrats, no blacks in your district to drive the district to the center. It's going to stay ultra-right, and you got to cotton to the ultra-right in order to get reelected. And that polarized our politics and made sure that neither political party could really speak for more than just their actual faction. Hope that helps you. John from Bergen. How are you? John? Hello? You there? Okay. Let's move on to Russell from White Plains. Hey, Dick, where did you learn that skepticism about scientists and doctors at Stuyvesant High School? <laughs> I learned it by life. <laughs> I know. And you have a fascinating life. Your career arc is fascinating, Dick, and I can't wait till someone writes your biography. But real quick, you know, you've heard that 1,100 schools that we built over in Afghanistan were funded, but they were ghost schools that nobody went to. Did yeah. you hear about that? Yeah, I did. I did. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I want to ask you, do you think it's a really an internal struggle struggle in the U.S. government between the Pentagon and pro-Chinese elements of Biden's administration and the military wants to look, make Biden look bad because they don't want to leave a strategic location with the lithium and I the Belt and Road, Road I, Initiative. But I think, I, you know, I think that sorry. Biden has taken over, that the left has taken over the military. I think well, that the promotion, the political correct, the CRT, 
and all that. You know what the giveaway was? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the polling, normally the military votes Republican. In this election, they broke just about even with the rest of the country. Uh, and I think that they, I think Biden has set, and the left has set a premium for promotion and everything else on being a radical leftist. Well, I don't, I don't think he's left, Dick. I think with the disinformation that we get, it's hard to tell what's really going on. And I don't think they would have let Trump left Syria, remember the Kurds, and they wouldn't have let, let him leave Afghanistan, remember the Russians bank bonuses. He would have found a way to stay. But, Dick, one thing, you know, and I really like you, it's very disturbing for me to hear you say certain people are like a virus. It's very disturbing. I'm, certain you know, people what? It's disturbing to hear you say certain people are like a virus. It's, you know, I was saying the Taliban operates know, in the same the way a virus are, does. But they're not ISIS. The Taliban are the people of that country. No, t- and if, yeah, that, if some, that's true. They're a tribe in the country right. that always has been fierce and radical and are very bad people. Dick, uh, if, if, if people were standing at Ron Reagan Airport in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Look, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that anybody is a virus. I am saying a virus is a metaphor that really helps you understand how a terrorist group takes over a country, and we're watching that in Afghanistan. Well, that's my show, and I hope you have a great weekend. I really loved it. You take care. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.